0: As you know, tonight is the Super Bowl, and um, uh, Sports Spectrum is a Christian magazine, sports magazine, and they listed um, seven players that are followers of Christ. And so we have their, their pictures, so when they're on the field uh, tonight, you'll, you can wave at them and Cheer them on, give them a thumbs up, you know, because they're part of God's family. And that's important. So um, <clears throat> for the Cincinnati Bengals, uh, the kicker, Evan McPherson, he glorifies God through his words apparel. He's 22 years old, references Bible verses or his faith uh, on his social media post. Uh, defensive end, Trey Hendrickson, career high season, including 14 sacks, expressed thanks to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ upon being named to his first Pro Bowl. Defensive back Michael Thomas says, God's plans are far greater than ours. I'm so glad God graced me uh, with this opportunity to serve him in the NFL. And then uh, Akeem Davis Gaither, last summer as a linebacker, he was baptized by his pastor, he wrote, I, after 23 years, I'm so proud to have given my life to Christ and received the gift of, the, of new life. God has done wonderful things in my life, picked me up from my lows and humbled me at my highs. Every step of my life, God has blessed me in so many ways. And then we transition over to the LA Rams. Uh, Cooper Cup, I talked about him two weeks ago, so you know everything about him. <laughs> Uh, he's outspoken on, about his faith and, um, yeah, him. And then the Rams punter, Johnny Hecker, frequently talks about his faith and the benefits of being in God's word. He, uh, he attends the team's Bible studies and even held baptism in his backyard swimming pool. They have swimming pools in L.A., you know, uh, so he's able to do that. And then the Rams tied in Kendall Blatton. First and foremost, I just want to thank God for my journey. And uh, he describes himself on on his Twitter feed, follower of one, uh, next to a cross emoji. So um, there you have it. Uh, Look for those players. And uh, I'll be very transparent right now. So uh, on on my notes here uh, about these players, uh, it says, I love you with a heart right here. Uh, that's that's my wife. Uh, she didn't sign her name, but uh, she snuck that in. So, um, uh, yeah, I appreciate that, Deborah. Thank you. And I love you, too. We are continuing uh, in our series, The Joy Project, through the uh, letter to the Philippians. And um, today we continue to do that. Uh, we're going to go back to uh, 2004, to Athens, Greece, when the Olympics were taking place. Um, you can see the stadium back then, and then let's, let's uh, check this next deal out. Uh, so we're, we're going to be isolating the Olympics to the marathon run and um, yeah, starting in Athens working its way up. Uh, 26 two mile run and that's just a shot in a breeze for many of us we know and um, but there was a runner from Brazil, his name Vanderly D Lima, five foot five, 119 pounds running for his country, Brazil. And it was there that he received the bronze medal. Now, Uh, Some of you might say, well, so what? What's the big deal? Well, the thing is, he should have won gold. He should have. I mean, of course, all athletes feel that way, you know. But he was leading the race with only three miles to go when a spectator from the side of the road ran into him and pulled him off the track. And uh, really for no reason. And... uh, This dude was from Ireland, and you know, those of you from Ireland, I have some Irish blood in me too, so uh, don't hold that against us, but this guy had been in prison the year before for running on the Grand Prix racetrack in England, so he kind of had a reputation for doing weird stuff, you know? Is is that weird, grabbing a a runner in the marathon? I think that's pretty weird, huh? Yeah. Yeah. And um, so he forced um, Dilema off the track and into the crowd. And although stunned and shaken, Dilema collected himself and resumed running. And in the process, you can imagine he lost his rhythm. You know, there's a rhythm to running. That's what I'm told. (laughs) Yeah, there's a rhythm to it. Uh, And those precious seconds and in his position, you know, it just kind of threw him off. You know, definitely, you, you can understand it. But here's the deal. Uh, de Lima never lost his joy through it all. This uh, Brazilian entered the Marble Stadium, you know, for the awards, um, just like a kid in a candy store, just excited. And he punched his fist in the air, You know, and kind of had his arms out, you know, like kids do with their arms and pretend they're airplanes, you know. So he he was taking full advantage uh, of the opportunity of being on the award stand. Um, Later, when he was crowned with the olive wreath and a huge smile, this is what he had to say It's a festive moment, it is a unique moment. Most athletes never have this opportunity. Yeah, but most athletes don't get bumped off the path either. You know? I mean, you think about it. The guy could have really been ticked. It could have just made him embittered, angry. I'm going to get back at that Irish dude, you know? Pulled me off the track. Life isn't fair. No, he never went down that path. He let it go. He just let it go. He won a bronze, and when you see the photographs, he holds that that bronze medal, and he's very proud. Probably knew he could have won the gold too, but life happens, right? Yeah, life happens. Um, Vanderly never complained. He said the Olympic spirit prevailed again. I was able to medal for myself and my country. That's where he. That's where he. At the end of the day, that's where it was. And so how did Lima keep that kind of an attitude? You know, um, we know that there are people off the side of the road in our lives as we're running through life that we get grabbed, we get pulled off the track, and we say it's not fair. You know, where did that come from? Where did that crisis happen? Why did that happen to me? We just kinda, you know, lose our rhythm, so to speak, in life. And you don't have to run a marathon in the Olympics to find out that uh, you can be on the front of the pack and then end up on your back in a hurry. That's just how life is. So when life knocks you down, how do you get back into the race? And maybe this morning, there may be some of you watching, some of you in this room, you've been knocked down in this race called life. And you're kind of wondering, you know, am I going to get back on the track? Am I going to pursue this relationship with Christ? Will I have my wind knocked out of me and I'll sit on the corner and feel sorry for myself? We all have daily decisions to make on how we respond to those people in the crowds that pull us off the track. I think all of us have names for those, and you can fill in the blank at will. But there's another runner that we're going to talk about this morning that really got bumped off the road as well. There were all kinds of obstacles in his life, you know, the religious community always trying to pull him off the track to distract him, to discourage him from really completing that race with his relationship with Christ, and that was the Apostle Paul. So we're going to go to uh, Philippians 3 and um, pick it up in verse 12. Where Paul, writing to a young congregation, says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to model that for us. The Apostle Paul, again, is demonstrating that example that um, we keep pressing on no matter what happens so that we can cross that finish line. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for your word, and we thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather. Lord, there's nobody like you. And the longer we experience this relationship with you, the more we are amazed at how great you are, how good you are, how faithful you are. And so, Lord, we pray for those today that possibly recently, a month ago, six months ago, somebody out of nowhere pulled them off the track of life. And they don't know what to do next. And so today I pray that your Holy Spirit will encourage them, Lord, to get back on that track and to finish strong. And then, really to encourage all of us today, Lord, um, in our walk with you, to keep pressing on. That is the cool thing, the great opportunity we have. In Jesus' name, amen. So we see the Apostle Paul in chains. Um, You know, he's chained to a praetorium guard. These praetorium guards come and go. The guards never leave him alone. He's always got somebody in the room with him. He's wondering if he's ever going to get out. He's bumped off the track of life. Um, Trouble began years earlier in Jerusalem with the religious community. Uh, You know, Paul was trying to work with them to show them the truth, but they would have none of it. And so they accused him of blasphemy. They nearly killed him. They unfairly imprisoned him. They maligned his name. They violated his rights. They disrupted his plans. (laughs) And by the time Paul now is under house arrest here writing this letter, He's been beaten. He's been lied about. He's been in a storm. You know, his life totally at risk. He was rejected, and now he's neglected. And you may think, well, the Apostle Paul, after going through life like that, (laughs) he's probably ticked off. He's probably got an attitude. He's probably jaded, you know? It's like, what else can happen to me? And you think, well, he's in Rome, so we we know there's a church in rome and 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 so he could probably take comfort in the thought that you know there's a unified Roman congregation nearby that are probably praying for him and and uh, trying to encourage him, sending him postcards and emails and texts you know every day to keep on paul you can you can do it, but um that wasn't happening, friends, no, not at all because Quite honestly, the Roman church was in trouble. And we know that because um, Paul writes about it in chapter 1 in the book of Philippians. In verse 15, he says, It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, and others preach about Christ with pure motives. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely intending to make my chains uh, more painful to me. They're trying to make Paul's life more miserable. And these are people in the church. And you'd say, come on. You know, Paul's thinking, come on. God, what are you doing to me? You know, and woe is me. And you would think Paul's response would be, you know, what a waste. You know, I can't believe they're going off the rails after all I did for this church. This is the reward I get, man. They're trying to defame me even more. But in verse 18, notice what he says, but that doesn't matter. Right? It doesn't matter. Why? Whether the motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So what, where does Paul land? Uh, kind of where Vander de Lima landed. Even though he got pulled off the track, he kept his joy. Paul says, I will rejoice, and I will continue to rejoice. It doesn't matter. If you want to make life easier for yourself, and I need to make it easier for myself, it's the best way, where Paul is just modeling for us right here, that we don't get so caught up in what's happening to us personally, where we... Shrink our world into my little world. Look at what's happening to me. Instead, Paul doesn't allow that to happen. He lifts his eyes towards heaven, so to speak, in his relationship with Christ. And he said, God has a bigger purpose for my life, even bigger than how I see it right here in this house arrest that I'm experiencing. And everything that's happened to me in the past, God has been refining me to become a better follower of Jesus Christ. So it's all good. It's all good. And if we can learn, man, when when somebody ticks you off and things happen in life and and you could go off the rails and say, man, this is just, oh, I wish I could get even with that person or, you know, it keeps you up at night. Paul says it doesn't matter. If we could say, it really doesn't matter what's going on in my life, because I know God is working in my life. I'm good with that. But what's most important is the gospel is being preached. It is. The gospel is being preached. I just recently read an article from um, the Voice of the Martyrs, and they had an article about the followers of Christ in Cuba, not far off our Florida coast. And when communism came in in the fifties, they tried to eradicate Christianity from that nation. But even today, they said this church, there's a church in Cuba that recently baptized a hundred people, even under the suppression and the thumb of communism in their country. See? So so we could say, man, you know, this world, it, it, it seems like it's, it's collapsing right before our eyes. It, it, it's not the same world that I grew up in. That may be true. But good things are going on. Bigger things are going on that we can even see. Because how many of us have been in Cuba lately? We haven't, right? But God is doing some cool stuff in Cuba. He's doing it all around the world right now. And he's doing it in your life, and my life, if we let him, if we let him. And so Paul, you know, he, <laughs> he doesn't know if he's going to live or survive. Nero is in command of Rome, the Roman Empire. Nero was a little loopy. You know, if you if you go into, into history, you'll find the dude was he was off the rails mentally and emotionally, and he's at the command center of Rome. He's in charge, and so Paul doesn't know if he's going to have a bad day and say, "Paul, it's over." You know, we're going to pull the plug on you. But Paul could have very easily been stressed out about that, but he's not. He's not. He's saying it doesn't matter because my life is in the hands of God. And as long as the gospel is being preached, I'm good with that. That's a great place for all of us to land. Yeah? Yeah. That's a great place for all of us to land as long as the gospel is being proclaimed. And even if the motives are wrong, as Paul says, I'm happy about it. I'm excited about it. And so that will relieve a lot of stress and anxiety in our lives if we can just settle on that at the end of the day. So you good with that, friends? <laughs> yeah, we we say yes to Paul, what he's writing here. And instead of counting the bricks inside this house arrest, thinking, Man, when am I going to get out? you know, Paul is instead planting a garden. He's planting a garden. He's looking at the good side, not the bad side. Instead of camping out on all the mistreatments that have occurred to him, what's he doing? He's settling on the faithfulness of God. It's a good place to do, man. And you've heard me say this many times. Just to be able to take minutes of a day, maybe it's before you go to bed, maybe it's before you eat dinner, Maybe it's before you, put, you have breakfast. Put on a song, a worship song, and just listen to the lyrics and join in with those that sing about the greatness of God, the faithfulness of God, to help keep our eyes fixed on Him. That's what Paul's doing. So... Verse 12 and 14 in that first chapter, Paul says, I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that's happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. Can you imagine if every follower of Christ would echo that? All the bad stuff that has happened to me, instead of me getting bitter and angry and doubting God, and everything here is helping to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. So Paul may have been bumped off the track many times, but he's right on target. He's okay with that. Why? Because Christ is being preached. Hmm. The mission is being accomplished. The mission's being accomplished. We could, we could ask that simple question, is God's mission being accomplished in my life? Go, you can ask yourself that. Is God's mission being accomplished in my life today? Am I allowing that to happen? Am I clearing the road of all the obstacles, you know, and giving God a wide open entrance into my life so he can have his way? that's what we're looking for so pressing on that's a great motto to have as a follower of Jesus Christ in first chronicles 16:11 it says search for the lord and for his strength and continually seek him that is a cool practical way to press on search for the lord and for his strength and continually Seek him. May we do that. May we do that faithfully. So jumping to um, just real quick um, through the outline, I want to know Christ in verses 10 and 11. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power. So yesterday I, I listened to a song that we've sung here the past few months of wanting to know Christ. I listened to it over and over again, you know, Because I need to. I need to keep that that desire, that, uh, that motivation to want to know Christ more. I want to know you more. Not an intellectual of knowing, but an experiential, you know. Jesus, you're doing a, man, you're working in my life and I am so grateful. So there's this two-way communication going back. There's, he's pouring in and you give out and he's pouring in and you give out to keep that alive. I need to do that because I'm grateful for the opportunity of knowing him. And then two, Paul says, I haven't arrived yet. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things. Number three, I want to grow more. Is that happening in your life? Is there that that desire to say, Lord, I want to grow more. I want to know you more. I want to pursue you more. And so he says, I press on. And number four, I focus on one thing, verse 13. Uh, Nor do your brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. And the message puts it this way, but I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward, to Jesus, I'm off and running. <laughs> I'm not looking back. I'm not looking back. But I focus on this one thing. Paul is saying, man, I'm not, I'm not distracted. I'm not distracted. And, and notice this. Paul is committed to this Christian race, you know? Kind of taking the fun off, man. If you, if you I'm going to run today. I'm going to take today off, you know? I'm going to run today. I'm going to take today off, depending on how you feel. you know. I'm going to, I'm going to run for God. No, I'm going to take the day off with God today. Listen, that, there is no joy in that kind of a relationship. The, the joy comes in consistency. The joy comes in being faithful day, one day, day after day, one day at a time, and allowing him to live in and through your life. So Paul wants to cross that finish line, and we need laser point focus for that to happen. And uh, we, we, we hit this recently to distractions, and how uh, distractions in life can throw us off the track as well. Um, C.S. Lewis in his allegory, of The Screwtape Letters, which uh, the guys are reading on Monday nights, he says, you will find, um, so this is an effective way of temptation. You will find that anything or nothing is sufficient to attract his wandering attention. You no longer need a good book, which he really likes, to keep him from his prayers or his work or his sleep. A column of advertisements in yesterday's paper will do. You can make him do nothing at all for long periods. And so when you think of distractions, um, C.S. Lewis recognized that, how the enemy wants to do that, to keep us distracted from pursuing Christ. And when you think of Paul, he had a lot of, and he could have had a, a list on his refrigerator of all the distractions that could have kept him from pursuing God. You know, persecution, prison, travel, working while preaching, planting churches. The, the care for all the churches and even more. Yet he had a simple mindset to follow after Christ, just to simply follow after Christ. And so in our waking moments, man, may we remind ourselves uh, of the importance of keeping that focus on him. Subpoint so one, forget the past um, we know that Paul uh, could have very easily gone off the rails as well. Say, man, I, I remember uh, killing Christians, arresting Christians, destroying families. I, I remember seeing them being killed. All those images haunting him to say, I'm not good enough. I'm, I'm not worthy for God to use me. And he could have gone into early retirement, so to speak. You know, I put my faith in Christ and I'm going to call it the end of the day. That's not the way it's to be. Paul says, forgetting the past. I'm not going to let my past influence my present or my future life. That's what he's saying. That's what it means here. Kind of like Joseph in Genesis 50 verse 20. You know, his brothers were out to destroy his life. They they wanted to kill him. Then they sold him into slavery. And they come back years later and they think, ah, Joseph's going to nuke us, man. It's revenge day. You know, he's been waiting for this on his calendar. But instead he says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. It's, it's, it's reminiscent of Paul, under house arrest. You, the, all these people have meant to harm me, but God's used it for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. You see what, you see what Joseph did? He said, it doesn't matter. My brothers sold me into slavery. They, all these bad things happened to me. Life isn't fair. He said, Phew! It was all bad, but God used it for all good. And that's where I'm settling. So once again, there we go. So we need to keep our eyes on Christ. Here's a, just a, a flare in the air. It's easy to replay past victories spiritually, you know. Maybe you some, accomplish something great for the Lord, and you're content to remember that. You know You've got this little photograph or memorial over on the side, you, and know, you're on the shelf, in your room somewhere. But those spiritual milestones. Man, in our lives, it's so easy to allow them to come into, to turn into tombstones. Those milestones, maybe where we pat ourselves on the back. Oh yeah, I remember when. I remember when. Oh yeah, when that that was five years. Oh, that was two years ago. So those milestones, if we just tend to rest there, they can end up being tombstones in our life. You know, we haven't grown since then. We haven't pressed on since then. We haven't got back on the track since then. And that's a danger. Oliver Wendell Holmes, check out this slide as we read his quote. The great thing in this world is not so much where we stand as in what direction we're moving. To reach the port of heaven, we must sail sometimes with the wind and sometimes against it. But we must sail, not drift, nor lie at anchor. Too many people are staying in the port, anchored in calm waters, instead of setting their sail. And very possibly against the wind. But God is there to see us through. Just like the children of Israel, man, God opens up the Red Sea. Can you imagine? And then floods the Egyptian army right behind them. And three days later, the people are, you know, looking back at Egypt. All through those years, they're always looking back instead of looking for the promised land. They're always looking back. Oh, man, those onions were so good. I love onions. I don't like them, but. They did. They they did. They took a vote. We like onions. We want to go back to Egypt because they're all over the place there. So we don't want to be like the children of Israel where God wants to put them on course for the promised land and they keep looking back. They live in the past. And then sometimes our past sins will paralyze us for the present and the future. And just like Paul, he had a choice to make, and he let it go. Now, we can pick a date, any date, from February fifth, 1980. Uh, Jill Price uh, can, can instantly tell you what day of the week it was back in 1980, what she did that day in any major event that took place. And for most of us, our problem is remembering. (laughs) But for Jill Price, her problem is forgetting. And there's a reason. She's got a condition called hyperthymestic syndrome. And what that means is it's automatic recall from every day of her life from when she was 14 years old. Think about that. Now, For some, that might seem like a gift, you know, like I can remember birthdays or if I'm going to be on Jeopardy, man, that would really help me, you know, (laughs) that would really help. Uh, But there was a downside and she writes in her memoir, The Woman Who Can't Forget. Imagine being able to remember every fight you ever had with a friend, every time someone lets you down, all the stupid mistakes you've ever made, the meanest, most harmful things you've ever said to people, and those things that... They've said to you, then imagine not being able to push them out of your mind no matter how hard you tried. For Jill, you know, those emotions don't dial down over time, right? They're just as potent today as they were 20 years ago. She said, as I grew up and more and more memories were stored in my brain, more and more of them flashed through my mind in this endless barrage and I became a prisoner to my memory. A prisoner to my memory. Are you a prisoner? <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> Let me know if the prisoner shows up. All right. We good? No. A prisoner, man. Uh, so in that respect, Jill's not alone because many of us are prisoners to our memories, aren't we? We're locked into a cell. We can't get out. We've, we're paralyzed behind the bars that we put in front of ourselves. Consciously or subconsciously, Consciously, we become a prisoner of our past and we can't come out of it. And even if we've confessed our sins, we still feel condemned because we've allowed the enemy to camp out in the back of our minds. You're you're still not good enough. God can't forgive you. And those feelings of uh, condemnation undermine the fact that God is for us, not against us. We keep beating ourselves up. We keep that self-defeating lie replaying, replaying, replaying in the back of our minds. So, um... Pete Briscoe, uh, he has spoken at uh, No Regrets a few times over the years. He writes, we're no longer sinners, we are holy sons and daughters of God. He quotes um, Soren Kierkegaard by saying this, God creates out of nothing. Wonderful, you say? Yes, to be sure, but he does what is still more wonderful. He makes saints out of sinners. Horkergaard was a uh, Danish theologian back in the 1800s, and he nailed it right there. But Pete says, at one time you were a sinner, but now you're saved. Your sin-driven past is behind you. You are currently a saint who sometimes sins. The difference is how God looks at you. At the very moment you trusted Christ, you stopped being a sinner and started being, being a saint you were indeed saved by grace from your sin, but your identity as a sinner which you inherited at birth is gone. Because Christ saved us, we are now sons and daughters of God. And fireworks go off in our hearts and minds at the thought of that. Like John 1:12 and 13, but to all who believed him and accepted him, that's Jesus, he gave the right to become what? Children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. If we walk around constantly identifying ourselves as sinners, we are communicating to ourselves and to others that we are defined by our previous identity as a sinner. We want to fully acknowledge to the Father and those around us that we continue to sin, but the Father does not want his children to run around and identify themselves as sinners. The distinction between seeing yourself as a sinner or seeing yourself as a saint makes a huge difference in the way you live your life because you will act out the way you view yourself. Mm -hmm. Those that see themselves as a sinner tend to focus on sin management more than pursuing intimacy with God. So true. They're too busy trying not to sin to really embrace life as a saint. It's almost as if they're just waiting to sin again, feeling doomed by its inevitability. Managing sin keeps us looking down in the dumps. We're never quite able to see beyond the next mistake. Believe yourself to be a failure and you will behave like one. What a tiring way to live. No one is saying that the saint in Christ is going to live a sinless life. That's not what he's talking about. What this means is that our identity is not that of a sinner. We are God's sons and daughters. Yo! Yo! That's liberating. And friends, that, that is something I've walked out in my own life. You know, that, that cloud of I'm a sinner. no. That's wrong identity. Uh, I'm a child of God. I'm a son of God. When you start living like that, it liberates us to pursue Christ. So, we're a saint and not a sinner. Romans 8.1 in the Phillips translation, No condemnation now hangs over the head of those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's read that again. No condemnation now hangs over the head of those who are in Christ Jesus. I like the way Mark Batterson, he pastors in Washington, D.C. He puts it this way. God puts an A on us, apple of his eye. He takes off our grave clothes of sin and clothes us with garments of salvation. He gives us a new name, new identity, and new destiny. Isn't that good? Yeah. Yeah, man. The apple, we're the apple of God's eye. In Galatians 4, 6, and 7, because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Isn't that good? Thank you, Lord. Right? Thank you, Lord. We kind of sang about that this morning. How great is our God. This is what he's done. We're no longer slaves to sin. We are sons and daughters of God and heirs to God Almighty. Man. So I get it. Some of you are processing this. You know, maybe you've recently placed your faith in Christ. Um, You're kind of growing into that. You know, God loves me and God forgives me. And I, and I have to tell you, that, that took a while for me too. You know, when I put my faith in Christ to start reading God's word and finding out what he says and what kind of God he is, it was a process. That's part of that sanctification, sanctification process of getting to know him more and realizing how much he loves, you know. So I want to just encourage you to continue that process. Don't let that go. And um, it's time to let go of your failures, friends. I just want to encourage you, if you're a prisoner to your past, let God open the chains, the prison door. let Let him open that and free you. Max Lucado put it this way, God will not let you go. He has handcuffed himself to you in love. Think about that. And he owns the only key. You need not win his love. You already have it. And since you can't win it, you can't lose it. Stated more simply, junkyard wrecks and showroom models share equal space in God's garage. (laughs) That's good. That's good. And so, what's what's this all about? God God coming after us, God wanting that relationship with us. Um, I read this um, Google search for hope leads to faith in Jesus. It's the story of uh, Ken Derlin. It says, The turbulence over the the past few years has left many feeling lost and searching for answer, answers to spiritual questions. That description fit Kenneth Derlin, recently baptized at his church. The 34-year-old Derlin said his spiritual journey started in the summer of 2019. Describing his summer as rough, Derlin said going through a divorce was one of the many reasons he began searching for hope And answers in the Bible. Despite growing up in the South, Durland said he had never once been to a church before attending the church service in the fall of 2019 and had never read the Bible before the weeks leading up to that service. He said, I was trying to find some kind of hope and faith and a path in life. When you're lost, that is what you're looking for. You're looking for some kind of guidance, path, or direction to move forward. I had no idea what I was getting into when I read the Bible. He began his search by opening the Bible and Googling hopeful verses, trying to find some encouragement. He said, I was just kind of off, lost, and unhappy in life, and I just needed some, some help. After a couple weeks of this, he began looking for churches to attend, and someone recommended this church that he began attending. In one of the services he was at, he was impacted by the message, and he placed his faith. In Jesus Christ. He says, I've encouraged other young adults to find the help and hope they need through the local church. He said, Now I'm able to see the bigger picture of life and the bigger picture of living a God centered life. I know God loves me and I'm going to do what's right to have my relationships with God. I feel like God has given me so much. And he is a part of everything in my life. And so when you feel lost in life and you feel like there's no opportunity to get yourself on track and not feel lost, but there is. And it's church and everything that it offers. All you have to do is seek someone out and ask for help. And Jesus is waiting there for you. Yes, he is. Father, we thank you this morning that in life, just as we heard Ken Derlin, somebody bumped him off the track of life. He didn't know what to do, and so he sought hope. We thank you, Jesus, that you are our hope. We thank you that Vanderly de Lima didn't lose his hope when he got bumped off the track. And we want to thank you that the Apostle Paul kept his eyes on you. After getting bumped off that track time and time again, Paul got back on again and kept running with his eyes fixed on you. And so this morning, Lord, we kind of hit the pause button of life. Have we been bumped off? Are we running with our eyes fixed on you and you alone right now? Lord, help us to take moments during our days to reflect on your goodness, to spend time with you, Lord, as you continue to make yourself known to us. And possibly today you've never had a relationship with Jesus Christ and very simply you can tell the Lord right here, right now because he's here. Lord, I'm a sinner. I've sinned against you. And I recognize that you died on the cross for my sins. You, you became my substitute. You took my place. You paid for my sin dead in full and you rose again on that third day. And so this morning, Lord, I place my trust in you. I place all my trust on you. So thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me, for paying my sin debt. And Lord, I endeavor to live for you all the days of my life through the power of your spirit. One day at a time, for which I'm grateful. Eternity with you, not away from you. What a gift. So thank you, Lord. Jesus, we rest in you today. We rest in you, Lord. We're grateful for a passion you have for each one of us for that relationship you want to have with us lord we endeavor to keep that relationship vibrant with your help in jesus name amen